Thank you, church, for everyone who participated in the 48-hour prayer online prayer vigil. We actually had 192 prayer times for those two days. And let me tell you something. Those prayer times that, that we had, all 192 uh, opportunities for people to pray, those time slots, they were all filled. You can write in the comment section, praise God on that. So at 2 a.m., 1 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., people were being prayed for, and that is exciting. So thank you to everyone who prayed. And let me also spur us on to continue to pray and, 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 and lift up the needs of your loved ones and people you know. And if you um, think of it later or just write yourself a note now and say, hey, I need to um, text so-and-so or I need to call so-and-so and see what their prayer requests are. But let's continue to pray. Let's continue to lift up the needs of people. And if you have needs, if you have um, concerns, if you're worried about stuff, let us know. Let a friend know. Let 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 a godly person know or email the church or let one of the pastors know. We want to know how we could serve you. We want to know how we could um, come alongside you in any way we possibly can. And 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 we want to be the hands and feet of Christ. Now I gotta tell you, we got a great event coming up here in, in a little bit. So here's the timeline. Next week, Kaz is preaching and going to bring it. And in the comment section, you can say, yay, Kaz is preaching. So next week, Kaz is preaching. She's going to conclude the series on uh, on promises, on the series called I Promise. Then the following weekend, uh, that's a, the September 20th, that Sunday, is our Vision Sunday. We're going to be looking back at what God has done in the life of our church. We're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the dedication of our um, renovated or our brand new addition to the worship center. 20 years ago, you know, the worship center that we have, it used to be just, just one half. 20 years ago, our church and the leadership put the other half in there, and we want to celebrate what God did uh, during that time as well. So it's a Vision Sunday. It's honoring what God has done. It's remembering and having this 20th anniversary of uh, the addition to the worship center, and it's going to be great. But here's the deal. On that Sunday, so here we go. We've got this weekend right now. Next weekend, Kaz is preaching. Everything's normal. The following weekend, we're going to have one service. September 20th, you can write that down, even the comment section right down, September 20th, Sunday, September 20th at 9.30 a.m., there's one service. There's no Friday night service on the 18th, there's no 8.30 or 10.30, there's one service on September 20th, and that service is at 9.30, September 20th, one service. 9.30, and it's going to be a special service. We've been planning it for a while. We've been working on it. We're working on it continually, and we're praying that God blesses it and uses it for great, great things that, that people see what God has done and are excited about what God's going to continue to do. So make sure you mark that in your calendars and invite everyone and let them know, and it's going to be all online, of course. And that's what we have going on. So this weekend, we continue our series entitled, I Promise. Um, and we're looking at the two promises this weekend. So here's the cliff notes. The first promise 
is that Jesus will build his church. Okay? Promise number one, Jesus will build his church. Promise number two, that the, uh, the gates of death will not overcome it. Jesus will build his church. Promise number one. Promise number two, the gates of death will not overcome it. Amen. Jesus will build his church and the gates of death or the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is exciting news. This is a promise we can hold on to during this time that we're living right now that, that Jesus will build his church and the gates of death, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is something we got to hold on to whatever it is you're going in your life. Let's hold on to this because this is a promise that is for all eternity no matter what happens. God is going to be there. The church will always be there because we are the church and Jesus is coming back for his bride. So here's what we read in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and, and others, uh, uh, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Messiah. So let's begin first by asking or by talking about the starting point of the church. So in this conversation, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Because during this time, Jesus was doing a lot of things. Jesus was the probably the most talked about person during this time period because he would heal people. He would care for people. He would go against the grain. He'd go against what, what the religious authorities uh, would want him to do. And so he says, who do people, people say I am? And they said, well, you might be John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist. But remember, John the Baptist was beheaded. So they're thinking, well, maybe he came back to life. Some said, uh, and then the disciples say, well, Jesus, some say you're Elijah. Because it was, uh, in one of the ideas in Jewish thought back then was that Elijah would have been the forerunner of the Messiah. So another says, well, you're Jeremiah the prophet. And then, and then they said, well, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, okay, all right. But What's interesting is that the disciples told him all the good news. Like, here's all the good people that you might be. They didn't tell him what other people were saying. And here's what other people were saying. They were saying that, um, that, 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 that some thought Jesus was a blasphemer, that a mere man claiming to be God. Uh, some were accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Some, uh, we're saying that he was in the league with the devil. So that's the stuff they didn't tell Jesus. But then Jesus looks at them and he says this, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter gets up and he says, I don't know if he gets up, but Simon Peter then replies, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, you're right. And the Messiah, a Messiah is a Hebrew word for the anointed one. What Peter was saying is that you were the anointed one. You were the one that all the prophets have prophesied about and that you are here in our midst. You are the Messiah. You're the one that is, that, that, that is coming to redeem the world. Like in our presence. And no wonder Jesus at the end says, don't tell anybody yet why his time wasn't there. His time wasn't ready quite yet. But this question that Jesus asked to his disciples is something you and I have to ask. Who do you say I am? Is what Jesus asked the disciples. So let's, let me ask the question to all of us. Who do we say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? We could say, Jesus, you are the Lord, King of Kings, our Savior, and, and he is. You could say, Jesus, you're the one who died for my sins and have eternal life. Absolutely, he is. But do our lives reflect what we say about Jesus? That's where it gets challenging, isn't it? But let's be able to answer this question. Who do we say Jesus is? And, and maybe you need to wrestle with that question. And maybe you need to talk to your friends more about, tell me more about Jesus. And maybe you're struggling in your faith. Talk to people. Ask questions. Questions are good. And if you are struggling with your faith, you're in a perfect place to do that. Because we want you to know that we will support you. We care for you. We love you. And if you're watching and you just happen to watch this message and you don't really have a faith background or maybe you just, you've fallen away, understand that you're loved and, and God has a plan for you. And who is Jesus? That's the question we all have to answer because that's the question that has, that has implications for how we live our lives now and has implications for all eternity. Who is Jesus to you? That has implications for how we live our lives now and how we live our lives for all eternity. Romans 10, 9 and 10, we read this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus is the way to salvation. He is love. He is peace. And let's continue to tell people the good news of Jesus, that he loves us, that he's there for us. He has grace and he has forgiveness for us. So here's the first promise of the church, about the church. Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was that revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now remember, it's so important to understand this, that the starting point of the church is Jesus. The starting point of the church is Jesus. In the comment section, you can just write Jesus. The starting point of the church is Jesus. Right in the comment section, Jesus. Jesus. I love that. Jesus. Just in the comment section, right? Jesus. The starting point of the church is 
Jesus. And what's fascinating is that Jesus made this statement about that he will build his church, but the church wasn't even around then. He was talking about something that was going to happen in the future, so the disciples didn't even really fully comprehend what was going on. And, and in fact, the way you and I use the church, oftentimes we, we use the, the phrase of the church like this, the church uh, is, is, a, is a building, or we say the church is the people and where all the people gather, and that's never what Jesus intended. Um, and, and it's just one of those broad terms, but, but so the church really is not the building in which we worship. It's not the worship celebration, uh, service that the, the church is the ecclesia. It's the church is the called out ones. The church, the church is the people of God. You and I are the church and you and I are the ones who are being built up. And so Jesus first promise is this, that he will build my church. Jesus' first promise is this, that Jesus will build his church. Jesus will build his church. And can I tell you something? Jesus loves the church. Jesus died and rose again for his bride, for the church. And so this whole idea of building means that you and I have a part to play. And all of this. So let's look at Peter and Matthew 16. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Because the name Peter means rock, this passage has been disputed amongst Protestants and Roman Catholics for many, many years. In fact, in the early 1500s, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. These were 95 things that, that Martin Luther had issues with in terms of the Roman Catholic faith at that time. And what's fascinating is that from there, the Protestant Reformation came. And the word Protestant actually means to protest. Protestants were protesting the Roman Catholic faith at that time, hence the Protestant Reformation that was started by Martin Luther and had a lot of other key leaders during that time. But because the Roman Catholic Church has this high emphasis on Peter being the first pope, is what the Roman Catholic says, Protestants will then say, well, ah, Peter is just a normal guy, he's just... He's just He's, yeah, he's just, just like everybody else. Okay, I get that. But it seems to me that Jesus gave some special honor to Peter. One author says it this way. The play on of words and the address to Peter makes it clear that the apostle is assigned a special place. What we have here in Peter is we have someone who is a disciple of Jesus. We have somebody who messed up. We have somebody who then Jesus restores. And what did Jesus say to uh, Peter on the shore? Peter, go and feed my sheep. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, who was the one that stood up and spoke at Pentecost? It was Peter. And when Cornelius, uh, the the angel came to Cornelius, and 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 who did who did God send to Cornelius to tell him about Jesus and about the cross and about eternal life? It was Peter. And Cornelius, 
the, uh, the, the Roman soldier, was the first Gentile convert to Jesus. How cool is that? And it was Peter that God used. In Acts 15, uh, there's a huge council in Acts 15, which is um, instrumental in the book of Acts. And, uh, and, and Peter was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And then he wrote letters. And so there was something unique about him. So the, the rock is, in fact, Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. So the rock is, in fact, Peter. And now hear me on this. But there is no suggestion of a successor to Peter. I think both Peter and his role were unique. And so there was no succession to him. And I come to that conclusion from a couple Bible passages, Ephesians 2. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the start of the church. And then we read this in Ephesians, right? We just read, I'll, I'll, read, I'll emphasize it, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the uh, as the chief cornerstone. First Peter chapter 2 we read uh, Peter says this as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans but uh, uh, but chosen by God and precious to him you also the living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what we have here going on is that Jesus says, on this rock I'll build my church. He's referring to the body of Christ. He's referring to his family, to his community that he wants everyone in the universe to be a part of, right? He wants everybody on earth to be a part of his godly family. He wants everybody on earth to be part of his church. And so he's building us up. Jesus isn't talking about physical building. He's talking about building us up, maturing us spiritually, maturing us spiritually uh, or, or emotionally, maturing spiritually, maturing emotionally, learning about God growing closer to God in, in, in deeper and deeper ways, spending spending time in prayer, this deep, like closest to God. We are being built up as part of the church. And part of that means that you and I need to own our faith. It's no longer our parents' faith. It's no longer our grandparents' faith. It's not our uncle or our auntie's faith. It is our faith. Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do we believe that because we have made that decision? Or do we believe that because somebody else has made that decision? You and I have got to make that decision for ourselves. Nobody can make that decision for us. And as we grow and as we mature and as we're being built up, one of the things that we'll naturally do is be connected and committed to a local body of believers. And that's why we do membership at Kamiki Christian Church, because we want 
to continue the mission of Jesus to build people up and to further the mission of his church globally, as well as this mission that he has for Kamiki Christian Church. And that's why we're so big on membership. That's why we're so big on getting people connected to the local body of believers, because we need the support of one another and we need to build one another up. And we constantly need to be encouraged, especially in this day and age. G.I. Packer says this, Something is wrong with professed Christians who do not identify with the church and love it and invest themselves in it and carry its needs on their hearts. So that sink in for a bit. Well, let's look at the second promise of the church. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of death or the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The first promise, remember that? First promise is what? I will build my church. And the second promise, and the gates of Hades or the gates of death will not overcome it. And this is a, a, a promise of confidence. It's a promise of hope. It's a promise that you and I can hold on to right now, like I was saying earlier, that, that, that no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, that the gates of Hades, the gates of death will not overcome the church. No one is going to overcome the bride of Christ. That's something we can hold on to during all times of life. One pastor says it this way, the picture Jesus is painting here in Matthew. The picture Jesus is painting here is that of a fortified city protected by gates. Now, in this analogy, who is on the off offense and who is on the defense? Too often we get the idea of spiritual warfare backwards. We think we're on the defense and, and, and we're the ones under attack. But that's not how Jesus planned it. We're to be on the offense in the battle. An army doesn't bring its gate with it when it attacks the enemy. An army defends its gates. Jesus is saying here that we, the church, are to be on the offense. The point of, of us being the church and of Jesus building uh, uh, us up is that we're to continue to grow. Think about this, that Jesus was talking about in the future, I will build my church, right? The disciples didn't know about it. If you would have asked somebody, in the Roman Empire, who, who ruled during that time, would the church, the small little movement of Jesus followers, would that still be around 2,000 years later? Or will Rome, the place where all roads lead, what will Rome still be there? Everyone would say Rome. But what does Jesus say? No. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of death will not overcome it. 2,000 years later, what is here? The church. But guess what? You and I have a lot of work to do. There's so many people who need to know the Lord, so many people who need to know the love of Christ. There's one thing we need to also be reminded of is that Jesus is always victorious, that Jesus has a mission for us, that Jesus has a plan for us. There's a lot of people, especially younger generations, who have left the church over, uh, over, over the years, the church universal. And there's a lot of people just hungering and thirsty for something more, something deeper. 
And we got to build these relationships with these men and women who maybe have left the faith or maybe have questioned the faith or maybe whatever it is and build relationships with them wherever they are. And what, we, what we've got to do as we are being built up ourselves is we got to make relationships and connect with people in creative ways and, and, and listen to them. When was the last time we just, we just sat down with somebody or maybe had a Zoom call or a phone call or a text conversation? Because we have a relationship with them and we say, hey, tell me about your faith. When was the last time we said, hey, have you ever thought about Jesus? Or maybe that's a little too forward. What about just asking the question, hey, what's your, what's your faith background like? What's your religious background? Do you have any? We are being built up as the church. And our job as we're being built up is to go out and to care for others and to love others. And here's the deal with the church. The church, we are, the church is messy. Why? Because the church is the people. And we have problems, we have issues. If you want to say amen to the fact that you have problems and issues in the comment section, go ahead and be like, amen, I got issues, I got problems. And, and here's the deal. We all have issues and problems some want to admit it, some don't want to admit it. I have issues and problems. I know it's hard to believe, you know, but I do. This, the beauty of it is this, we all have issues and problems, but the blood of Jesus has forgiven us and the blood of Jesus heals us. And so let's take that message. Let's continue to fill our souls with that message. And then let's go and share that message with those who do not know the Lord. Remember, the first promise is that Jesus will build his church. The second promise is that the gates of death, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Church, no matter what you're going through, Jesus has your back. Jesus is on your side. He is on our side. He loves you, he died for you, he rose again, and he wants to spend forever with you. That's how much you're loved. That's how much you're cherished. He says, I will build my church. He's building us. And the gates of Hades of death will not overcome it. Isn't that exciting? You can say amen to that in the comments section, right? Amen, amen, and just say praise Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus. Amen.